The following material is for informational purposes only, and you should always seek your own mental health professional. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Through the Eyes of a Therapist with Crystal Martinez Acosta. I am a licensed professional counselor, and I live, work, and play in El Paso, Texas. I just want to thank everybody for all the support that you have given me throughout the last three weeks. I started this little baby podcast that could approximately three weeks ago, and we are a few numbers shy of 300 downloads on Podbean. So I am so excited that everybody is taking a listen to some of these really important and relevant topics. Um, No more will mental health be taking a backseat. There has been a lot of talk about mental health and how, um, especially with really recent events that have occurred, like the mass shooting in Florida, other mass killings, natural disasters. These are examples of things that we think of when we think of the word trauma. Um, However, trauma is subjective. And I just want to talk about it a little bit today because I live in this world of mental health and there are some times where I can get a little carried away with the terminology. And I want you to be able to understand as the listener, I'm here to inform you and educate you on some of the things that I know. Some of these things should be general knowledge. So today I want to talk to you about trauma prevalence and what kind of impact it can have on a person, what some of the signs and symptoms are. First off, what I want to do is just talk a little bit about the overall definition of trauma. So trauma can be an event and it can also be a response. Trauma as an event can be one event, like a single event, like experiencing a hurricane or an earthquake or one instance of abuse, or it can be something like a set of circumstances that is experienced over time. For example, somebody who has been through maybe abuse or childhood abuse, and maybe that child now has to go to court and now they were removed from their family and now they have to face the repercussions of that with their extended family. So it can be one event or a series of events that can cause somebody to feel so overwhelmed that it can affect their mental state, their physical state, and their spiritual state. So it has a lot of effects on a lot of different areas of life. So that's the general definition of trauma. And what's important to understand about trauma is that it is subjective. Let's say a car accident. Okay, let's let's use that simple example that maybe, you know, it's pretty common. Maybe you've been through it and or Maybe a family member has been in a fender bender and let's say person A is in the fender bender as well as person B. Person B is a passenger. So let's pretend that this fender bender happens and person A, the driver, you know, gets out of the car, walks around, checks out the car, totally fine. He's walking fine. He, after that, gets back in the car, continues to drive, you know, isn't, it doesn't appear to be affected by this fender bender. Now let's say person B, the passenger, we're still talking about the same event, the same car, have been not even seriously hurt. And for some reason they had a really strong fear response or trauma response. So then person B goes on with life, but now they're a little afraid to start driving again, or maybe they don't want to get on the freeway anymore because that's where the fender bender happened. We as professionals, as mental health professionals, do not get to dictate what is traumatic for somebody and what is not. Some less common examples of trauma could possibly be, you know, 
going through a divorce, having a family member move away, having a pet die, you know, having to move, having somebody get deported, going bankrupt. A lot of these instances and examples maybe are a little bit less common or we don't really associate the word trauma with those things, but those things can definitely be traumatic for an individual. So now I want to make a distinction between trauma and complex trauma. So complex trauma, as I understand it, is where an individual experiences multiple traumas across multiple developmental stages. So for example, let's say we have a teenager. They're about 17 years old. They come into my office and let's say, for example, this is totally fictional. Um, This is not a real client by any means. I'm just making it up just for an example. So let's say that somebody comes in, they're 17 at three years old. Let's say they were separated from mom at age 12. The child's grandparent, who was one of their main support people, dies suddenly Then let's say at age 15, they were sexually assaulted. And then at 17, they find out that maybe they have some sort of physical illness. The point with this example is that you see how there are different traumas across the lifespan. So it's not just one incident that happened when he was three or not one incident that happened when they were 12. It's multiple incidents and it can be two or more. So the difference between that and chronic stress is chronic stress is living under conditions where you are constantly stressed and overwhelmed. And this is also subjective. So the first thing that comes to my mind is like single parents, right? So single moms, you know, they have to be mom and dad. Uh, Then they also have to take their kids to school. Maybe they have to work a couple of jobs. They lose sleep. Maybe their kids are really little. Maybe they're experiencing some adversities that are really difficult to deal with. So then that's really stressful. Um, So that's chronic stress. But all three of these things, trauma, complex trauma, and chronic stress can cause, I would say, unpleasant and undesirable reactions. Some of the symptoms of trauma can also be some of the symptoms of stress. But remember that all of these are subjective and every individual experiences them differently. Because remember that one person or two people can go through the same event but not have the same reaction. I believe from what I've read before is that about only 20% of people who are exposed to a traumatic event actually get post-traumatic stress disorder. So the odds are that Maybe somebody doesn't have full-blown post-traumatic stress disorder, but they might have certain symptoms related to PTSD. Some of the things that I see in clients in both kids and adults, because I think that the limbic system, it serves the same purpose in every animal, pretty much. It's the reptile brain. So it's the fight or flight response, fight, flight, freeze. Some things that I think both adults and children can experience related to trauma are uh, flashbacks, um, having images, uh, vivid images, or um, reimagining of the traumatic event or events. They can also have some avoidance behavior, so avoiding or purposefully uh, evading or distracting themselves from stimuli that remind them of a certain traumatic event. So um, it could be a person, a place, or a thing. 
um, a place that smells a certain way, a certain song, um, and they just avoid these things because it triggers them and it reminds them of the trauma. Another one is just generalized anxiety. So having their fight, flight, freeze response constantly activated. If somebody's fight, flight, freeze response is constantly activated, that means that their higher order brain or the brain that's in charge of executive functioning is probably not going to be functioning. If somebody, let's say, a child, for example, is in class and they're trying to learn math, but they recently went through a trauma and so they are anxious and they're kind of heightened and in a state of activation, they might not be able to focus on that math problem. They might be distracted or they might be kind of daydreaming. So this doesn't necessarily mean that they are not paying attention. This could actually be the definition of hypervigilance, which is kind of like where your system that has anything and everything to do with your fight or flight response is constantly activated. So you can't concentrate because you're in a constant state of fear and paranoia that something's going to happen. Some other things are nightmares, bedwetting, any shifts that you see in behavior that are not typical for that person, any shifts in awareness or in mood that are not typical for that person are also some kind of red flags to look out for. Trauma is pretty prevalent. According to some studies, um, the one that I'm thinking of is called the ACEs study, which is the Adverse Childhood Experiences study, where it, this study was done in California uh, with Kaiser Permanente in the 1990s, and they surveyed thousands of people who were going in for physical checkups or ailments or whatever, and they were getting checked by doctors. They decided to give them a questionnaire called the ACEs questionnaire, which asks them about 10 adverse childhood experiences that they may have had. They included things like child abuse, um, natural disasters, um, domestic violence, divorce, mental illness in the home, stuff like that. And so what they found is a pretty strong correlation between physical diseases such as diabetes, heart disease, smoking, alcoholism, cancer, and adverse childhood experiences. So what that means is the more adverse childhood experiences a person had, their risk for certain diseases developing later in life increased significantly. So I'm going to put the link on the website for my podcast so that way uh, you can take the ACEs quiz. The quiz is printable and it's public domain. If you're a mental health professional or you are a health professional, like a doctor, a nurse or a nurse practitioner, it might be worth it to look at incorporating this into your practice because it can give you a lot of information about somebody's history or physical um, things that a person might experience later in life because of their childhood. I know I've gotten a couple of questions about the difference between CPTSD, which stands for Civilian Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder, and I guess the most commonly diagnosed PTSD type, which is from people who have been exposed to war, combat, or a militarized zone. Soldiers are not the only people that get PTSD. No, no, no. Average people... People who have been exposed to chronic stress, an event or a series of events that have overwhelmed them and overwhelmed their system and ability to cope can get PTSD. Now, again, only 20% of people who actually experience these things get PTSD. I mean, the full diagnosis. So... I think it's important to understand that. It's also important to understand that children can be diagnosed with PTSD. 
I think that a lot of people might believe right now that children cannot be diagnosed because it's such a big and significant diagnosis. But if they show signs and symptoms of their systems being overwhelmed because of an event and these kind of shifts have occurred in their life where they are they're not functioning in a typical manner then they could possibly have PTSD. So what I see most commonly with kids is they get diagnosed with ADHD. So ADHD and those symptoms which is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder um there's a few types. So there's three types. There's ADHD which is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder meaning there's a hyperactive component. So that's the first type. The second type is ADD, which is attention deficit disorder, which is uh, which has an emphasis on the deficit of attention. So it's not necessarily hyper. It has more quiet symptoms like forgetfulness or um, not being able to concentrate. And then there's uh, the combined type where somebody is hyperactive, but they're also inattentive. So there's, those are three types of ADHD. Now, PTSD looks pretty similar to ADHD. Why? Because um, one, hypervigilance. So if somebody's hypervigilant, they're restless, they can't relax, there's a lot of stuff happening around them, they're very easily activated, they're in fight or flight mode, that might look like hyperactivity. They might not be able to concentrate. So maybe their performance in school has gone down or their teachers notice, hey, this kid is now spacing out or daydreaming a lot or not completing his work or forgetting things. Hmm, sounds a lot like ADHD, but it could be that maybe this child is going through something at home and we don't actually know their story. So it's really important that one, teachers, you know, shouldn't be diagnosing your child. I think that it takes um, the collaboration between a teacher and a parent and a mental health professional to complete that diagnosis. I typically do is ask the parents for their assessment of the child. So what kinds of things have they seen in their child? What are some of the different ways that they are displaying hyperactivity or inattentiveness? Then I observe the child themselves. I also give assessments like screeners, like ADHD screeners and stuff like that, that I will send home with the parents and I'll send them to the child's teacher or the uh, another adult that they spend a lot of time with during the day so that I can get collateral information about ADHD, anxiety, PTSD. All of them have some similarities and so it's really important to understand that distinction and if you feel like, hey, maybe my child or my brother or my cousin is acting this way and they didn't used to act like that before, that might be an indication that it could be maybe an anxiety disorder or PTSD because ADHD from what I understand and in my experience and what I have observed is that it is chronic and pervasive. So that means that ADHD does not just happen at school and then they're fine at home. No, ADHD is present at home and at school and has probably been present since they were very small children. So it may not be what you think it is. So that's why it's really, really important to seek consultation and assessment from a mental health professional. So we've covered trauma, complex trauma, chronic stress, some of the signs and symptoms, and how prevalent it is. I, I've been practicing for seven years. I don't know it all. Um, I work with a team of really, really talented, competent, super passionate um, professionals. And so 
all the decisions that I make and all the experience that I have is pretty heavily influenced by my team and my supervisors. And, um, you know, I, I don't know everything. And so this is what I know. And this is what I've seen in my practice. And again, I practice mostly with children and adults, actually children and young adults and some adults, um, and families. So I just wanted to give you kind of a little bit of insight to what I am talking about when I talk about trauma or what I'm talking about when I mention these terms. Um, when I say the acronym ACEs, now you know what that means. If I say complex trauma, you know what that means. So I just wanted to give you these definitions because I wanted you to have some information about this. Uh, since trauma is so prevalent and it exists in our society, um, you may have gone through some of these things yourself. And you know what? It's okay to understand and know what you've been through. And it's okay to understand your disorder, your disease, or um, whatever other type of uh, impairment in functioning that you're having. It's okay to seek that information out. And so if you're in the El Paso area, I know that you can call the number 211. That operator that answers will link you to services like social type of services and human services in the El Paso area. So local nonprofit mental health agencies, the city's mental health authority, um, crisis hotlines, things like that. So I encourage you to use those resources or dial 211. Coming up in a couple of weeks, I will be speaking with a safety expert um, in light of all these school shootings and the state of mental health in our youth and our young population. I really thought that it was important to get to interview this uh, professional because, you know, we need to know that our kids are safe. And when we're working with people who have been traumatized, safety, 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 safety is the number one concern. So making sure they feel safe in my office as a therapist, making sure they feel safe at school, making sure they feel safe at home, because a lot of healing will take place when somebody feels safe. I truly hope that you continue to join me, like and share my page on Facebook. It's through the eyes of a therapist Facebook page. I also just today created an Instagram page. So if you want to find me on Instagram, you can find me at wonder W O N D E R underscore counselor wonder counselor, um, or through the eyes of a therapist. And it also has a link to my podcast page. So blessings to you. May the force be with you. I love you all. Good night, everyone. Thanks for listening to Through the Eyes of a Therapist with Crystal Martinez Acosta.